Let's go to the update on the trial of Pierce County Sheriff Ed Troyer. Closing arguments have concluded. Deliberations could begin today. Kyra News Radio's Darren Dito has the latest on the case. Sheriff Troyer is charged with making false and misleading statements about being threatened by black newspaper carrier Cedric Altimer. Prosecutors say Troyer followed Altimer and had a grudge against him. On January 27th, Sheriff Troyer weaponized the police force to settle a personal petty score with a man who didn't treat him with the deference and the respect that he felt he deserved. The defense says Troyer believed Altimer wanted to fight or take him out. Why would Sheriff Troyer make this up? Think about it. Why would Sheriff Troyer lie? The prosecution told the jury this wasn't the case. Proved beyond a reasonable doubt that his claim that a newspaper carrier had threatened to kill him was a lie. Troyer called dispatch and a large police presence responded to his neighborhood. The defense claims that Troyer never wanted that many officers to show up. As a sheriff of Pierce County, managing a depleted police force, constantly struggling to cover assignments, add out of anyone would never make a false report to initiate a needless emergency response. If found guilty of both misdemeanors, Troyer could spend up to a year in jail and pay a fine of $5,000 for both offenses. Darren Dito Cairo, News Radio. When Santa makes up his list, you know that you won't be missed. Cause who tells him where to go? Your Uncle Mistletoe. Ah, yes. If you're uh, new to Seattle, you probably don't know just how deeply Seattle has affected many holiday traditions. For example, the song uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer was composed here. And it's also a little known fact that department store Santa Claus photos were invented in Seattle during World War II, which is a story that our resident historian Felix Bunnell first brought to us a few years ago. And he's here with that classic story again, along with a post Pandemic Santa Update, brought to you by Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, that was the Uncle Mistletoe theme song that Frederick Nelson tried to get off the ground in response to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, um, Santa's been a fixture in American retail stores since about 1890, when a store in Brockton, Massachusetts, first welcomed the jolly old elf as a customer service. Santa was a highlight of the holiday season around here, particularly at Frederick and Nelson, that old department store in the building where Nordstrom's now located. Now, during World War II and the years after, when those... Those cursed baby boomers were first on the scene. Frederick's was the place to visit Santa, and it's the place where in 1944, it seems the concept and business of Santa photos were invented. Now, first I want to play this vintage audio of the Frederick Santa. He was played by a local radio actor and tuxedo store clerk named Dave Harris. He did that from 1942 to 1968. That's almost as long as you were, you've been at Cairo, almost. Dave. yeah. <laughs> in this audio we're going to hear, he's talking with a little girl named uh, Patty Pogue. She's from Seattle. This is back in the 40s. This is when, in addition to paying for a photo, you could pay a little extra for an acetate disc with audio of your kid's visit with Santa. What's your name, honey? My name's Patty Pooh. I, I thought you meant my me. Oh, uh-huh. and what do you want for Christmas? I want a doll crib. A doll crib, what else? And a little um, doll that comes in a wag. And what else? <laughs> That's all. That's all. Sweet little Patty Pogue just wants a doll that coos and wets yeah. and a doll crib. Um, now, so in 1943, Fredericks take a huge step forward. They moved their Santa operations from inside the store, deep in the bowels of that store, 
and put it in a display window right by the sidewalk. Right. Okay, that's where the, that's when magic starts to happen because across from Fredericks back in the 40s was the old Seattle PI newspaper. And we talked about this last month, how the PI was down there with that big neon sign on 6th Avenue. A photographer there named Art Happy French could see Santa and the throngs of kids lined up to meet him, and he also saw an opportunity and maybe dollar signs. Happy was an ironic nickname, by the way, according to all reports about Art Happy French. Now, in 1944, Art French took a month off from work and got permission from Fredericks to set up a Santa photo concession and it was wildly successful by the christmas season of 1945 he netted this is net profit here ten thousand dollars for a month's work yikes and that's in what year <laughs> 1945 wow three times his annual salary at the pi and made yeah. in just one twelfth the time so he quit his job in the newspaper <laughs> uh this was all written up in an article in time magazine in 1946 which is probably the only way we know about this now, there's no absolute definitive proof that Seattle was the first place where Santa photos were offered for sale, but no other city makes the claim. And I've been making the claim now for more than probably a decade and a half. And Art French's photos are pretty amazing portraits. Um, we did an th- exhibit at Mohai when I was there. This is 20 years ago. Invited people to bring in their fr- Santa photos from Fredericks. I thought maybe a dozen people would show up. We got something like 300 images. Wow. And most of them are these beautiful 1940s, large format camera. The camera's hidden. And so they're, they're candidly posed, and they're printed on this gorgeous paper, and they're just they're like portraits. They're works of art, and I've seen hundreds of them. They're all really beautiful. Um, let's listen to Santa Dave Harris some more. Now um, he's singing with little Patty Pogue. Let you and I sing it together now. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride the one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Now, he's no Nick Kratia, but he's still a pretty good singer back then. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> now, Art French died in 1962, but the Vido family took over the business that year and carried on with Frederick and Nelson until Fredericks went out of business about 30 years later. But the uh, the Vito family is still in business doing Santa photos at 10 locations around the Northwest, places like Bellevue Square and University Village. Now, back in 2016, I spoke with Hillard Vito, who runs a company that his parents uh, took over 60 years ago. He loves what Art French did um, with those beautiful photographs and what long-gone Frederick and Nelson still represents to so many families around here. Now, six years ago, he told me that they have sig- a few significant pieces of the Frederick and Nelson heritage that are still on the job. I only have one guy left that worked at Frederick's. He's a 86-year-old Phil Elbrum. He's working at Lake Forest Park in the old Frederick set. The cozy cloud cottage with the gold throne, fireplace, hidden photographer. You know, as we get closer to Christmas Eve, you can go there most nights, and it's all it's all Frederick stories. We've been doing this for 40 years, and we're the fourth generation, and it's still it still carries some some weight. Now, to be absolutely clear, Santa Phil has since retired. He's, I think, either 93 or 94 years old. Now, yeah. let, let the guy have a rest. Um, but the old Frederick Nelson Golden Throne is back at Lake Forest Park Shopping Center once again this year, and it will be there through Christmas Eve. I spoke with Olin Vido a few days ago. That's Hillard's son. He says the business changed a lot during the pandemic. It's now all by reservation. We have links to the domain that they own, which is brilliant, santaphotos.com. That ought to be good for something. Uh, we have that at My Northwest. And they went to great lengths in 2020 and 2021 to mask up Santa and mask up visitors and put up plexiglass shields between the various parties. Um, we have some sample images from 2020 that are, it'll be historical, amazing historical records showing what people did during the pandemic to, to have Santa photos continue. Now, um, again, Santa Phil is in his 90s. He's retired. But back in 2016, he gave me a few messages to pass along. 
Merry Christmas to all the listeners of Cairo Radio. Oh, oh, oh. His Santa's a little tougher sounding than yours. I mean, he's a yeah. Korean War vet, Santa. He's Phil. a no nonsense yeah, Santa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, don't, don't, yeah, don't. You better be a good boy. Or you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna hear about. Yet one more message that I wanted to share from from Santa Phil from six years ago. Colleen. I need you to be a good girl this year. (laughs) Sounds vaguely sinister Mm. when I hear it now. What what does he know? Does he have any specifics? Is this because I sang Baby It's Cold Outside? That could be. (laughs) You'll hear from HR about that later today, I'm sure. Oh, good. Mm. I hope you know that uh, yours truly, when he was doing his talk show, once did uh, an episode from the window. uh, You're kidding me. Wow. uh, At the Bon Marche, though. That's that's, at Frederick's. Second best thing, and you still have the audio for that somewhere in your in your treasure trove. Oh, I don't know if I've got it, <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the only problem with doing, I mean, it's a great concept. The idea we're going to do a live radio show in a department store window, but the the two automated mannequins in the window with me were they were tight lipped, shall we say, almost frozen lipped, in that they didn't say anything. But there was a rocking chair, you know, and a little dog and a oh, Christmas tree and a cool. and a mommy and a daddy. And, Cute. So there you go. All of Felix's features are at MyNorthwest.com. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Dave. Great production last night, too. Thank you so much. A lot of work goes into that stuff. 647 Seattle's Morning News. You've been around long enough. You remember the first Gulf War to protect, to take back Kuwait from Saddam Hussein. One of the weapons that made a big difference was the Patriot defensive missile. And now the Pentagon is finalizing plans to send some of those to Ukraine. Let's go to CBS military analyst and retired Army Colonel Jeff McCausland. How do you think this is going to change the fight, Jeff? Well, Dave, I don't think it's going to change the fight much in the short term because obviously the Biden administration is not going to deploy American soldiers with this Patriot battery that's going to Ukraine. So we're going to train Ukrainian soldiers on that particular very advanced weapon system. That's going to take a good period of time. Likely that training will occur in Germany, but I can't imagine we could see the deployment of these weapons in combat for several months. This is going to take a while. And is this, this is just one battery? Single battery is what is being reported from the Pentagon right now. That'll have eight launchers on it. Normally it takes about 90 soldiers to, to operate that particular weapon system. But, you know, we don't have a whole lot of Patriot batteries sitting around in the inventory. As a consequence, this is going to be deployed from a unit that's already in Europe. We move these Patriot batteries around a lot to hot spots around the world when, when there are issues. We deployed several of them, for example, for periods of time in the Middle East when there were threats by Saudi, by uh, Iran or Houthi rebels against Saudi Arabia. Huh. Well, then, I mean, I'm glad they're getting something. But that doesn't sound like much. Are, are there other systems? I'm, uh, for example, doesn't uh, Israel have an Iron Dome system? And is, is that? That's something that they that could be deployed to uh, defend Ukraine? It certainly could, but of course the Israelis have been playing sort of neutral in this particular conflict since it began for fear of, you know, causing problems between them and the Russians, which they, which they uh, want to maintain fairly good relations with Moscow for some period of time. So, so far at least, it seems the Israelis have been resistant to do that. Another problem with the Patriot, though a very advanced weapon system, and probably the most advanced weapon system we've provided Ukraine up to this point, is it's not much use against drones because of the low level of the drones, and you can send so many drones at one particular time, it kind of overwhelms the system. So as a consequence, this would have no effect even if it was in place against the drone attacks, which the Russians have employed with great effect, particularly most recently against Odessa. Now, just the other day, the Pentagon announced another $275 million 
dollars in military assistance uh, to Ukraine. And in that particular tranche, they talked about providing so-called uh, counter unmanned aerial systems um, to the Ukrainians, which is obviously language uh, designed to describe systems that are being provided to Ukraine to deal with the drone problem. Yeah, that drone problem. So it, has that caused a, uh, a refiguring of our, our own defense here? Because it seems like we were caught a little by surprise. A little by surprise, but we know the drone problem was out there. I mean, even ISIS, you know, in Iraq, employed very crude drones as suicide drones with explosives on it against Iraqis and U.S. forces during the fighting against ISIS only a couple of years ago. But obviously the massive use of drones has been something the Pentagon has been expecting in combat for some period of time. Hmm. And even NATO in the last couple of days has started discussing how NATO coordinates its own efforts to enhance its ability to defend forces where they deployed against the massive use of drones by an adversary. It's a little ironic that we've developed these systems to, to you know, hit a bullet with a bullet in terms of uh, knocking ballistic missiles out of the sky, only to find that these, and I assume these drones are fairly cheap and don't fly that fast, and yet they can elude all this advanced weaponry. Exactly. I mean, you can go on anything, place you want to right now, and buy a drone for a couple hundred bucks. Do you really want to fire a Patriot missile, which costs about a million dollars a copy, to shoot down a drone that costs a couple hundred dollars? The other problem, of course, with employing them against drones is the fact that they fly at such a low level, very difficult for a radar system to pick them up because they get caught up in the ground clutter. So as a consequence, that also makes it difficult to employ a sophisticated weapon like Patriot against a drone. Yeah. That's a little scary, but I guess that that horse has left the barn. So on the other uh, issue here... The possible nuclear threats from Vladimir Putin. This is this is he's been running sort of hot and cold on this. What is the current status of of Putin's threat to use nuclear weapons? Well, I think you just described it well. It's been hot and cold. He gave a speech of the day. He's been giving these speeches, just kind of seemed to wander around. And in the course of that particular speech, he talked about the fact that Moscow might adopt a new doctrine whereby they would be the first to use nuclear weapons. They have said in the past they would never do that. He now says, well, we may be rethinking that, you know, and he also went on to say the possibility of using nuclear weapons or a nuclear conflict has gone up. And then he quickly backtracked and said, but we're, we're not crazy. We wouldn't be the first people to do that and kind of seemed to be describing it more uh, in terms of a threat. He was describing to the Russian people posed by NATO to Russia. So perhaps this was mostly for the you know domestic audience as opposed to an international audience. At the same time, we've seen a one of the leaders of the uh, Donetsk People's Republic military, one of the militia groups there fighting with Russia in the Donbass region, come out in a TV interview in Moscow saying Russia can't win this war, as he described it, against the West. I think it's important. He said a war against the West, not a war against Ukraine, with our conventional forces, and we have to escalate to nuclear forces, nuclear weaponry, if, in fact, we're going to be successful. Now, how loud that particular guy's voice rings in the Kremlin, of course, is problematical. Yeah, I saw that. And then it was followed by uh, another story on CNN saying, well, but Putin's not going to use nuclear. He'll, he'll use uh, cyber cyber attacks before he uh, goes to nuclear weapons. But still, th- at this late stage in the war, is, is there no negotiated solution apparent? I mean, to, you know, Brittany Griner was released, so at least, you know, we're talking with somebody over there. Right. Uh, why continue this? Well, I think it continues because you, know, you go back, there's a there's a, a very old book by a guy named Fred, Fred a. Clay called, you know, Every War Must End. And the contents of that book, I think Clay named, nailed it. He said, you know, wars end 
when one side or the other changes their objectives. Yeah. You know, the Japanese obviously changed their objectives when we dropped a nuclear weapon on Hiroshima. Right. <laughs> but so far, at least, the Ukrainians very adamant that they seek to restore all the territory, to include the Crimea, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. and that portion of Donbass that Russians had previously occupied to Ukraine. And at the same time, Mr. Putin has been outspoken and very adamant that, yeah, I'd be delighted to negotiate tomorrow as soon as the West and Ukraine both acknowledge that these four provinces that we now say we've formally annexed, oh, by the way, they don't control the territory entirely, those four provinces, but be that as it may, as soon as you all acknowledge those four four provinces are actually Russian, then we'll negotiate. Well, what are we going to negotiate about? That would be basically a capitulation. So far, at least, neither side seems to be changing their objectives. CBS military analyst and retired Army Colonel Jeff McCausland. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Dave. Seattle's Morning News. For all the passionate discussion about the New York Times 1619 Project and its alleged threats to American patriotism, it is only being taught in one school here in Washington State, a charter school in Tukwila, Impact Puget Sound Elementary. I visited the school to take a look at the course, and yesterday we heard from the teacher who runs the fifth grade class, which is now learning about the African empires of the 1600s, pre-slavery. Today, we'll hear from the woman in charge of designing the curriculum. Her name is Amal Mohammed. One of the reasons I wanted to come down here is that you're the first school in this area to teach this, correct? That is correct. Why did you choose it? We felt that this is aligned to our fifth grade curriculum. Um, I do want to mention that the curriculum is age appropriate. It's aligned to our fifth grade standards. And um, we feel that our scholars need to learn the truth. They need to learn the hard history. And um, that is why we are teaching this curriculum in our fifth grade scholars. You begin by teaching them the history of Africa. I, th- I understand that because it's not something that's commonly taught, and it certainly wasn't taught when I was when I was going to school. So, how deeply do you get into that, and then, and at what point do you introduce uh, slavery? So, the project is a two ten week project, starting off with the rich history of African civilization. Scholars will learn about the different African kingdoms and the impact that they've left behind. Then they'll cover a chapter on enslavement in the United States. And then they'll learn about um, the abolitionist leaders and the impact that they've had in um, abolishing enslavement. Scholars will then learn about the civil rights era. And we feel that learning this content with our scholars, specifically at Puget Sound Elementary, we do have a large number of students that do identify as Africans. Mm -hmm. So, so far in the classroom, Dave, students are excited. They're engaged. They've actually asked to do a field trip to Africa. (laughs) When will that be? (laughs) Um, So you you discuss the culture, you discuss... um, the the empires, the rise and fall of the various African empires, something I'm pretty sure that we didn't touch on uh, either when I was going to school. But then at some point, you pivot to the slave trade. How do you introduce that? So we introduced that with the mentor text called Born on the Water by Nicole Hannah-Jones. It is a great book full of illustrations. And in that book, we start introducing the start of enslavement, how it happened 
the whole process of it. And scholars then take their information from the African Civilizations Unit and the rich history of Africa, tying it into the chapter of enslavement. When you talk about enslavement, somebody was doing the selling, somebody was doing the buying. How graphic do you get? Scholars learn about it all. The uh, whole thing. The whole thing. We feel that our fifth grade scholars are ready for this. They're ready to learn about the truth, even in its darkest chapters. I think one of the reasons that critical race theory has become so politically controversial is that there's a feeling among white people that the intent of this is to make them feel guilty. We don't teach critical race theory here at Impact Public Schools. We feel that that's more aligned for the college and university level, but we don't teach that in our. So this is so level. even though this is the sixteen nineteen project, you don't consider this to be critical race theory. We do not teach it. No, we don't teach critical race theory. But it's different than what's been taught up until now. So why why is this better than the way you were teaching it before? We've been teaching um, American history from multiple perspectives. In third grade, they've learned, for example, the westward expansion. They've learned it from multiple perspectives, mm-hmm. from the pioneers' perspective and also the Native American perspective. In fourth grade, we did teach about um, the Japanese internment camps and what that went on fourth here. Fourth grade. In fourth grade. Wow. So we've kind of already built out our curriculum in a way of teaching American history in with the diverse lens and that by the time our scholars here now at fifth grade, they're ready to learn the truth and ready Mm -hmm. to go to middle school. So you mentioned the book Born on the Water, published by the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Renee Watson. It begins by showing what life was like uh, in Africa. And it says uh, here on page eight, the people were good with their minds, good at math and science. They used shells for money, counting, recording, trading. They knew what their work was worth. They spoke Kimbundu, had their own words for joy, for grow, for home. Their hands had a knowing. They knew how to hold a baby close, et cetera, et cetera. So my first introduction to black people was as slaves in shacks in the South. This uh, portrays black people as having a nation, a culture, a civilization. So it doesn't strike me as being <laughs> terribly controversial. You're starting with an, an upbeat look at what the lives of black people were like pre-slavery. What would have prevented this kind of textbook from being published in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s? And that's that's the reason why we took the approach of starting this project with the rich history of African civilization, for scholars to learn about the history of Africa, to learn about the different cultures, to learn about the different civilizations. And then when they learn in the chapter of enslavement, they see that during that dark history of the time, that they were still holding on to those traditions and giving them that information from the beginning of what the rich history of Africa was and then learning about the enslavement helps them process this information. So you're not looking at your history as one of enslavement, but as a descendant of a rich culture, which for a period was dominated by a different culture. Yeah. Part of the big reason for them doing this project is for them to learn about the truth about our American history and understanding it um, and just building the foundation of teaching about the rich history of African civilizations, covering that chapter of enslavement and ending the unit with the civil rights era is the reason we're teaching this project. I guess it's fair to say that the purpose of teaching history the way it was taught in my day was to create a cohort of people who 
loved America as the greatest country on earth. And I think that some of those other things were scrubbed out because they don't make us look so good. And you're showing history as it was. So how do you handle it if somebody says, well, I thought I was living in, a, in the greatest country on earth, and now I see it's, it has some pretty serious flaws? The result is not for scholars to hate America. That's, that's not the message at all. Amal Mohammed, who's designing the 1619 curriculum being used at Impact Puget Sound Elementary in Tukwila. And time now for your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. A breast cancer survivor is using his nonprofit to make sure kids know they're not alone as their parents fight cancer too. CBS affiliate WREG in Memphis has his story. Holiday season is all about making spirits bright. I'm excited. Uh, This is our second year, and I'm so excited to help these children again. These smiling faces are from last year, as kids got the chance to meet Santa and pick out Christmas presents. You almost wouldn't know. They've spent the year watching their parents battle cancer. Those children see their mother and father uh, bodies change, and they see them crying at night, and, and, and... and, and there's nothing they can do about it. For many parents, Stack says, cancer takes not only a physical toll, but a financial one as well, oftentimes making it hard for these parents to afford holiday gifts for their children. They're already worried about their health, and now they're worried about their children. We want to take that worry about their children away. It's a feeling Stacks himself is too familiar with. When I first start losing my hair, uh, my granddaughter uh, did not want to come to me because I had lost my beard and she had never saw me without my beard. He was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. And after three surgeries, 27 rounds of chemotherapy and 32 rounds of radiation, he saw firsthand how cancer can affect a family. We believe that if you take care of the kids, it's like medicine to the mother and father. And now he sees firsthand how a little bit of holiday cheer can do the same. After feeling down and watching their mother sick and father sick for so long, we want to give them a happy moment. And that's what we do. That's what this is why we do this. That story out of Memphis. 747. And here he is from the Gene Ursula Show, which starts at 9 o'clock right here on Cairo News Radio. G. Scott, who, according to my sources, is already done with his holiday shopping. It's only the 14th of December. Done. Proud of you. I had to do it. Yeah. I can't lie. Um, it was easier this year. I think that uh, in my free time, instead of going out shopping at any brick and mortars, which I didn't, I just did it all online. Okay. And I thought, you know what? I've never been done with my Christmas shopping before December. I was actually done with my Christmas shopping before Thanksgiving. Good for you. And so Jeez. it really felt good. Like, I I think the holiday time season is a very stressful time. Mm-hmm. And even though I said, I'm going to get rid of this stress, I still feel the stress of the holidays. And I think a lot of times if you have family and you have friends and, you know, you know, there's health and, you know, the sickness that's going around right now. It's just like, man, you want everybody to be really happy. 
happy during the holidays. And so, yeah, I didn't mean to get, go deep right there, but I just was trying to just say that I, my goal was to alleviate any type of stress. It doesn't matter when you get your Christmas shopping done. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily help. Something's going to come for you. Something's going to come. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. But yes, Christmas shopping is done. Yesterday, we talked a lot about Christmas shopping. And uh, maybe you guys can help me out with something. I asked it on the show. And uh, should you buy your boss a gift for Christmas? Should you? Should. Should. That's a good oh, word. Uh, not huh. should. No, should. Should you? Because yeah. sometimes I believe that some will buy the boss something before they buy their coworker that works next to them something. Uh-huh. And there is uh, maybe a motive to buy the boss something rather than your coworker. So that was a, a discussion we had I've on I've never bought a Christmas gift for a boss. Oh, see, I do. I'm a gift giver, though. Isn't I that so? Isn't that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. I never thought even, didn't even cross my mind. Really? Why is really, that? Really, Dave? You're not nice, huh? I, I guess not. I, I, I assumed the boss would give us the Christmas gift, you see. Because <laughs> back in the old days, you know, you'd get, a, you'd get a turkey or something. Or a bonus. Yeah, or a bonus. <laughs> Remember money? That yeah. was fun. Um, no, I do. And I think that's just because my one of my love languages is gift giving, right? Is, and yeah. I love it and I love to, to speak it. And so for me, even if it's a small token, like last year, for a year, I marinated vanilla beans in a big jug of vodka from Costco. And so I handed out uh, homemade vanilla extract. Like it doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't. And I think I got our boss here, Kathy, some Prosecco because she likes Prosecco. Like it doesn't. Can I raise? Big. Can I raise my hand on something? Uh huh. Um, I didn't get anything. You didn't receive anything. Or I, didn't, you didn't... I didn't. I didn't receive anything. Oh, from Colleen. Oh, oh, last year. Yeah, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. Well, I've got something for you this year. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just, so, so you got the boss something. Don't you but agree you though that but we've you didn't grown get the closer guy this year? That d- yes. Right. So I think that also plays into it, too. But we weren't close last year when I did the show every single day at 745. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you and I were leaving them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. hey, you guys are you listening to the here's show the, right here's now. Here's the truth. I'm trying to think back. I was still a manager last December, and so I prioritized my staff, hmm. not my coworkers. Oh. That's what I did. That's oh. the actual truth. Okay. You know I love nothing right. but love for right. G. Scott. Come on. You don't think me all year round showering you with compliments is gift enough? Kind of. <laughs> he you wants got, a gift got, from Colleen. By the way, you guys are hearing real, real unpacking of uh, things going on between Colleen and I on yeah, the air. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, now that I know it means something to see, this is no, this it is doesn't. Good. No, this is good though. This is vulnerability. So few people are able to show vulnerability. Instead, they get in their heads and they go, "Well, why didn't I get a gift? Is it because of this?" Instead, you went, "Hey, Colleen." I didn't get a gift from you. That was me giving you a hard time. Please don't give me a gift. No, I love no, it. No, I will. No, I will. Please don't. No, she's got to. I, 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 no, because I don't feel like I have to. But, I like to. Well, let me Louis ask Vuitton you. Louis opens at nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in my budget. So what geez. happens, Dave? What yeah, happens? Right. What do you do when the coworker buys you a gift mm-hmm. and you know when you receive that gift that you had not bought the coworker anything? What do you do in that situation? I'll either I buy a gift if there's time, or I just send out positive vibes, and that's my gift. Yeah. And what's the positive vibe? I think positively about that person. Yeah, that's that's healthy. I I also as like an, a gift giver and somebody who loves receiving gifts, I never want somebody to feel put out by a gift. I never want them to go like just the other night. I watched a couple of my neighbors' kids, and they went, "We owe you," and I go, "No, you don't. Yeah. Just accept." 
the generosity, accept the gift. You don't have to pay me back. You don't have mm-hmm. to get me something. It's not like that. You guys give me a gift every single day. Aww. You guys allow me to come on your show, which <laughs> that's dangerous. No, we love it. Love that's, it. That's, that's dangerous, Dave. You help us walk right up to I, that line. <laughs> what is that line, anyway? But back to the boss thing. Yes. Like, I think yeah. it's a nod to managers work really hard. Do they? They get a lot of flack. They Did handle they? a lot of problems. Did, yes. Do, do you, no, as a former manager, <laughs> let She's me tell there. you, we're expected to solve all the problems and all the ailments of the staff without talking about it or without debriefing or venting about no. it. Like, it's hard to manage people. No, I'm a grown up now. Okay. It doesn't fool me anymore. This whole of the managers at the top says, we work really hard. No, you don't. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> there you go. I will no, give no, you don't. regardless. <laughs> actually, regardless. actually, those under you work harder. All right. <laughs> there you go. And that's the lot. It's not. Okay. I got to add one more thing because I don't want it to insinuate yeah. that yeah. people under managers yeah. don't. I just don't think managers are allowed to or get the uh, kindness that they should get. Oh, we kind. There's a lot of people that laugh at their jokes and they shouldn't. G and I are never going to agree. You ever got that coworker at work that laughs at your boss's jokes all the time? Oh, you're so funny, boss. The great big Cairo News Radio holiday special is now officially up at MyNorthwest.com. If you want to sit down and listen uh, to an hour that will definitely get you into a holiday mood. Uh, all of us were there late last night except for Ursula, who's here now. <laughs> but she submitted a song. But she emailed it in. It was, I did what? email it in, and I it felt really horrible. Good, but you know what was so wonderful? I was packing because I'm going to the Philippines tomorrow Mm -hmm. and I was packing and listening to the show. And based on what I had heard going in, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be really interesting because everyone was (laughs) kind of concerned about. You know, putting things together at yeah, the last yeah. minute. No, behind it was the curtain, fantastic. We got the script hours before the show. We right. practiced it 38 minutes before we went live, but right. not all of it. And we pulled it off. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Also, behind the curtain, as we were about 15 minutes in, uh, I got two handwritten notes from Felix saying, we're going to be 15 minutes short. Here's what we're going to insert. Go to him for this. Go to him for that. Oh, yeah. And But we, we hit it right on the nose. Absolutely. And by the heard. way, the recording you made, did you did you go down to a Memphis studio to do that? What was that? <laughs> you and Spike O'Neill. That was a- yeah, well, Spike O'Neill, Lisa Brooks, Aaron Mason, and Nick over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, okay, you guys... Can, I, can we make it a teaser? Because it's actually a gift for G. Okay. Oh, And I told okay. Felix, I, I came in on Monday night and I tr- you know, tried to th- throw something together. And then uh, Nick and Aaron Mason also um, uh, just helped put it together. Lip sealed and, on what song it is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, so it'll be a surprise. Gonna... A gift because I didn't. And so G really wants a gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1130. But I want to talk about you guys and the big... Dave... I know of your many, many talents, and we all do, and we all love your many, many talents. There was a big surprise for me last night. What was that? That was Colleen singing. Oh, oh yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it propped up incredibly by Nick. Was he not the it star was the of the show? chemistry on that thing. It was yeah. very much chemistry. Well, let's, let's, play a, let's play a little excerpt. Oh. I wish I knew your how. Your eyes are like stars right now. I'll take your hat. So your hair looks swell. I like to say no, no, no. Mind so. if I move in close. 
This was a stretch assignment for me because it is terrifying for me to sing in front of people. So to do it for the first time ever without rehearsing, by the way, in front of my coworkers, knowing the audience was listening, I was terrified. But I want to thank Nick for being such an encouraging duet partner. Everybody here. Yes. So I'm going to try to do it more. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, Colleen, when going into the studio last night, I was thinking, man, we haven't rehearsed this together like one bit at all. <laughs> but so much relief came into mind when I walked in and we just did it the first time. I was like, man, it was easy. It was like natural, you know, Good. and Good. it just was easy from there on out. And I can't thank Felix enough for putting it all together. It seems like it's not going to time up quick or good enough. Like we're going to be like 40 minutes shorter or whatever like that. But Felix, he's amazing yeah. being able to do all those. And programs. now you guys have a fallback career as lounge singers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. I do. I pretend I'm a lounge singer when I'm like in the shower, in the mm-hmm. car. So to actually do it and you, pull it off felt really good. You yeah. did pull Thanks it off beautifully. And yeah. then let's talk about Chris Sullivan, who uh, told, uh, as the traffic elf, I guess I can now reveal, it was Chris playing the traffic elf uh, last night. <laughs> what? Uh, Shocking. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, here's an excerpt from his story of the... It's not the first Christmas tree. The search. But it's the search for, for the, the perfect, for the Christmas, perfect tree. Christmas tree. right? A noble fir, about eight feet tall and plenty bushy, especially around the bottom to provide good hiding places for small gifts. The noble was also essential to hang all the heavy ornaments this family loved. Its branches are strong enough to hold the clay, handmade ornaments the family liked to make. Dad was well known for his Santas. Yeah. Now, that was a true story, right? Semi-autobiographical therapy yeah. session done live on the radio. I yeah. thought so. That included the Christmas fight between mom and dad. Yeah. There were a lot of family <laughs> details I did not expect in that story. And that story. tender ending, too. I think oh, we well. all were sort of arrested by the message you were sending. Well, yeah. it. Uh, I my it, We've talked about this on the air before, about how I'm so much maniacal about trying to find the perfect Christmas tree, because that's the way we were, were raised, and that's the way... Uh, uh, and, you know, one year we went to six or seven different lots before we went back to the first one to find one. Uh, but, yeah, we haven't had time mm-hmm. since then because Tommy's been so busy. We don't even have a tree now. You know, so we picked one up at Lowe's. It was like on the floor mm-hmm. uh, like two two days before Christmas, like we'll do next week. Uh, but, yeah, then I came to realize that, you know, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, the tree is great. But what's more important are the people looking at the tree. Don't give away the end. Well, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, those were okay. different words, but okay. same kind of sentiment. Okay. Oh, again, this is unrehearsed as well. <laughs> and then we had the uh, little drummer boy. It's Lisa Brooks on the high notes. A newborn came to see. And who else? Uh, Aaron Mason, Spike O'Neill, wow. Nick. So when do you guys do your stadium tour? <laughs> okay, we're going to play the whole song at 1130. We haven't okay. played you yet, Dave. Yeah, well. Yes. Come on. Uh, I, I hosted the trivia game. 
Are you with me, uh, David Farenthold of the New York Times? Yes. Ah, and are you with me, former Washington State Attorney General Rob McKenna? I am. And can you hear me there in the operating room, Dr. Gordon Cohen, M.D.? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Now, where are you all? Farenthold, where are you? Washington, D.C. You're in Washington. McKenna, where are you these days? Also Washington, D.C. You're both in Washington, D.C.? Dr. Cohen, I hope you're closer than that. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. Scottsdale, Arizona! (laughs) How is Santa going to get to all of you in one night? (sighs) All right, You are funny as Santa. Are you ready to play Santa's Northwest Christmas Trivia Game Show? Yes, absolutely. We are. Do any of you know anything about the Northwest at all? <laughs> all right. Sound I've effects. Been to Ballard. Sound effects. <laughs> You've been to Ballard. Well, that'll have to do. Sound effects, Elf. Will you please ring your jingle bells or something that makes a jingle belly noise when the contestants answer correctly? Is that going to be it? It sounds nothing like a jingle bell. All right. Now we've got it all going. All right, this should work out just fine. <laughs> in fact, at one uh, point the jingle bells actually broke too. Yeah, so sure I was picking did. them up. <laughs> Is that what's going on over there? It's with our foley artist and just sort of like making them mm. jingle with our fingers. <laughs> Many things going on behind Santa's back that Santa didn't realize. Yeah, what's fun is this live show is so hectic and such a mess <laughs> behind is. the scenes, but on the air, people are like, wow, you guys are so talented. And we're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, and you had the key, uh, a keyboard player yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, live, yeah, live orchestra. Yeah, exactly. And then Curtis Takahashi, who yeah. does the, the sound effects, effects. Yeah. which is wonderful. But I got to just say something, Dave. It is such a joy to see you in these productions, and as many years as you've done them, you bring the same amount of enthusiasm each and every single year, and you are a treasure. Yeah. Well, ho, ho, ho. Thank you. <laughs> Staying in character. That's right. Never break character. First rule of the theater. Uh, thank you, Ursula. Thank Love you. Me. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.